A doctor from New York, New York, on episode 16 of... My guest is an old friend whom I've known for, uh, wow, we are old, uh, whom I've known for almost 20 years, dating back to our days playing on the same team in the SBL. I was his ride to school Monday through Friday during senior year of high school, and he's responsible for the single most incriminating sentence anyone could have ever written about me, which he placed prominently in my yearbook and which my mother found less than humorous. He attended Cornell University and medical school in Israel and is currently doing his residency in pediatric radiology in the Bronx. Look out, ladies. He is also a stand-up comedian who has performed all over New York City. Audience, if you're on the subway, punch the old woman sitting near you and flick off the entire urban dance troupe in your train car for my friend, the brilliant, insightful, and hilarious Mr. Jonathan Zale. Johnny Z, what'd it be? Con Manuel, Eric son. So you just got off a night shift. (laughs) Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your night shift. It's 9 a.m. in the morning right now in New York, and you just finished work. Like, what's that like? You're like, you reverse commute. Everybody's like going to work, and you're coming home, like drinking a beer on the train. Like, what's that like? <laughs> the, the subway ride's interesting. I'm usually falling asleep on the person next to me. Really? But, uh, Do you drool? Yeah. <laughs> just if it's a girl. <laughs> really? That's, it's a turn on for you? You're like a secret fetishist of drool? <laughs> Indeed. Okay, good. It's not just me then. So, but is it, I mean, is it weird, like, feeling like, do you feel like a, a vampire? Are you like uh, Wesley Snipes in Blade? Like, do you feel like the others don't understand you? Is there a psychological disconnect? I think worse than anything, it's just that for a week or two weeks, if I'm on night flow for two weeks, I kind of lose that two weeks of my life because there's nobody else to talk to except if you're in Japan. You're not like in touch with anybody else. So the only thing that exists for me in the, is the hospital. And then I'm on the subway and these people are all going to work. And none of my friends are awake during the times that I'm awake. Oh, boo-hoo-hoo. It's like that for you for two weeks? Try it for a year, buddy. Move to Japan. No sympathy. Yeah, but you have Japanese <laughs> girls. I have Japanese girls. <laughs> yeah, they, they have any interest in talking to the weird, lanky, frightening man. So my friend uh, Hori, who is this guy I met in the um, elevator, he lives in my building. His name is Hori. I was like, listen, buddy, usually we say Hori-ish. What's your real name, okay? But uh, uh, no, but he works for the, like, the <laughs> Japanese Associated Press, basically. It's like a wire service. I mean, pretty uh, cool dude. So we went to have drinks with some friends of his, these, these ladies. And I was like telling these women I love to cook and I always have breakfast in my apartment and maybe dinner like, you know, four or five nights a week I cook. And one of the women goes, you make American breakfast every day? And I was like, wow, you think I make two eggs over easy with toast, hash browns and bacon or sausage every morning in my apartment? I'm not talking about like a diner special. Like she like full on thought like that. Get that kind of like confusion with like them thinking what's marketed as american culture is what american people actually do is that like in their own home yeah at 8 a.m yeah 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 i get that all the time (laughs) yeah you know what they're really good at here is they 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 can use the chopsticks as a knife in like a really impressive way like obviously not for like meat but for like potatoes or whatever they're always like splitting up portions with the chopsticks i'm like I can't right. do that. They're, I don't have those they're kind masters. Of skills. Yeah. They're, they're just masters at every little thing. They like it's been generations upon generations of teaching them how to use the chopstick as a knife. And us as Westerners will never understand. 
in your medical opinion, can you can, can the ability to use chopsticks be passed on genetically? I believe so. The Japanese many people don't know this, but that Japanese are actually the superior race. The dominance, the obedience. It's, it all goes hand in hand with the chopstick learning. <laughs> um, dominance and obedience are the names of my testicles, by the way. So a few, uh, I wanted to tell you a story about uh, some more weirdness at work. I was like waiting to get the elevator to go downstairs and I just like kind of threw my sunglasses on, just like put them on my face because I was like waiting for the elevator and uh, just to go downstairs to, to leave at the end of the day. And this woman was like, also waiting for the elevator she's like are your eyes okay i was like my eyes are great realizing she was talking to myself about my sunglasses she points to her eyes and said but you have uh and i was like yeah sun sunglasses uh and she like cuts me off and starts asking if i think that westerners need sunglasses because their eyes are bothered by the sun too much and gesturing towards the <laughs> gesturing towards the window there was like no sunlight coming through this tiny window and I was like, no, I, I I just put them on to, you know, it was, it was, I just, it was convenient. I, I'm telling you, man, they're the superior race. <laughs> Do you think there's a genetic explanation for like the Asian eye being more, like, is it actually more sensitive? Is that actually a thing? Or is that just like race science? Like, is that Mangala? Or is that like, like, what is that? <laughs> I think it's Mangala. But... What's, what's more impressive is not whether or not that it, it is true or not, but the fact that they think that Westerners are weaker than them in multiple categories. <laughs> she was also talking about how much smaller Japanese R's eyes are. Like, she was like, no, the, the Japanese eyes are, you know... And I was like, no, no, it's totally convenience. And I was like, a lot of Westerners just wear sunglasses because they're cool. And she was like, oh... Um, most Japanese people don't wear sunglasses because they are associated with gangs. Yakuza. And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, really? Like, that's the reason why people don't wear sunglasses? I, I think maybe there's a, like something to be said for this race science thing, though. Or like, maybe it's like, obviously, the, and I'm going to speak more broadly, which is maybe even more racist. But like, obviously, people who are Asian, um, their eyes are a little uh, less wide and large than western eyes right like that's acknowledged are you sure about this i'm, I'm gonna have I, to test this theory out i'm definitely not sure about it but i dare you to start taking a ruler to people on the street just tomorrow listen to me i'm a doctor my name is jonathan zale i'm dr zale okay yes. just stand in place i need to measure your eyes do you have any twins i need to measure both of your eyes i'd like to perform some experiments in my laboratory on you and your twin i don't know why i made you sound like <laughs> harvey firestein in that <laughs> in that story oh my god i gotta call my mother i'm quoting <laughs> i'm quoting independence day again on the podcast for a couple of years there will smith was basically saving the planet every summer i want to say and now that it's his son yeah, now it's his son and his daughter is like fucking everybody on the planet or pretending to <laughs> to sell clothing or something. Um, <laughs> let's get serious for a bit, John. Are you going to be okay with that? I'm down. I'm not sure there's going to be a comedic payoff here, but um, consider this sort of the Barbara Walters moment of Gopher Gaijin here. When you were five, I think, or, or six, you were diagnosed with leukemia. Um, I was wondering if you would talk about that. That is correct. Yeah, would you, would you talk about what that was like a little bit? I mean, you talk about it a bunch in your stand-up set, so I assume that's fair game for the podcast, but I know that you were probably expecting me to talk about like knee-high boots or some, some weird Japanese like fetish or something but yeah i was kind of expecting the japanese uh anime monster porn but uh let's get into leukemia <laughs> it's more interesting 
stomach. From uh, when I was four years old, I got diagnosed with leukemia. Um, for and I had chemo for the next three years. There was multiple different cycles of going back and forth between different chemotherapies, and I was inpatient for a large portion of that time. To be honest, it's actually I only remember kind of the very positive things about it in the hospital. Obviously, some of the procedures, you know, kind of have scarred me, and I still remember those and crying and screaming and that stuff. But in general. You know, I was surrounded by a lot of support. My dad would sleep in my hospital room as well. And then at some point with the chemotherapy, I lost my hair. So even though I was going to school, I was bald. Um, so that was an interesting type of interaction with the other kids. Uh, obviously, they didn't know what was going on. But generally, like the nurses, the doctors, when you're a kid and you're sick and have cancer, it's actually not that bad, you know, considering <laughs> if you're going to live on afterwards. Of course, right. But, but when you're a kid and you're sick, you know, everybody's super nice to you. But after you turn 18 and then you get cancer, it's like, you know, you're on your own type of thing. So I really felt like being surrounded by such positive energy that now when I think about it, it's not like a sad part of my life, and that's why I'm able to do the comedy sections of it, and I'm able to take something that's very negative and make it positive. I'm not sure how the audience necessarily relates to it because cancer with kids, it's a very touchy topic, but I try and... Uh, <laughs> yes, it is a pretty touchy topic. That's correct, yeah. But, you know, you got to be edgy in this world, otherwise you'll never make it. You know that with Gopher Gaijin. Of course, yeah. So so when, I mean, wh at what point did you did you realize that you were going to, I mean, you, you now, your job is diagnosing uh, children with cancer as a radiologist, pediatric radiologist. I mean, when did you decide that was something you was that like always kind of oh you know they helped me beat it now maybe I can do the same for some other kid or yeah I mean it was always in the background it nef never necessarily was like one day I'm going to do that um, because that's what happened but kind of just being surrounded by these doctors my entire life you know definitely geared it towards it made it easy. Um, just to proceed down that road. But I guess the answer that people don't want to hear is often, you know, everybody asks their doctor, are you passionate about, about medicine? You know, you probably, you must really love your job and you must have known that you're going to be a doctor for your entire life. I kind of have that, but not, I don't have it enough. Right, 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 right. Well, I think that concludes the super hyper serious portion of Go for Gaijin. You have a, a bunch of jokes you do about uh, about when um, about cancer and, and and all that stuff. I was wondering if you would grace us with some material, some cancer related material, because I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this who are like, "Wait, he does jokes about having cancer? What?" Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? I'll I'll tell the story as opposed to uh, as opposed to just throwing out some jokes. But when I was younger um, and I had cancer. One of the good things about having cancer as a kid is I got to participate in the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Any wish you want, and they grant it for you. And so the Make-A-Wish Foundation sent me and my family to Disney World. I don't think that that was my wish. I had already been to Disney World. I got bamboozled by the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Now, I don't know if they mixed up my wish with another kid's dying wish. I wasn't really sure, so I just assumed at that point that every kid in Disney World has cancer. So, 
there I was, you know, in the Magic Kingdom, walking around on my different rides with my family, asking the other kids that I would see in the in the park in Magic Kingdom, you know, what kind of cancer do you have? And, you know, what level of chemotherapy are you going through? And, you know, when the kids started crying, <laughs> even Mickey Mouse really couldn't, you know, convince them that they didn't have cancer anymore. Hey, kid, I'm Mickey. Leave me alone, all right? What the hell is this kid on about? <laughs> wow. I, I mean... Wow. <laughs> Let me change the topic a little bit here. You visited your brother when he was in Japan. What was the strangest uh, thing you in saw? In terms of the strangest thing, for me, it's not something that I experienced personally, but I did want to ask you about Japanese game shows. Now, <laughs> a while back, before you went to Japan, I had sent you a video of a Japanese game show called Orgasm Wars, yes. where there was a straight man said that he would not be able to come to orgasm. I think he was a porn star. He was a straight porn star. Yes, he, he was a straight porn star, and he said that there's no way that a gay man can suck him off to the point of orgasm. And then for the next nine minutes, they film this guy, and, and it's just in a, in a box so that you don't see Yeah, behind the a curtain, the you just, they just have a shot right. of, like, the three people who are, like, who are guessing whether or not it would happen, and the, the yeah, dude, the, the straight guy's face. Baseball. Yeah, I don't want to ruin the surprise for people who are listening, but the, uh, the, the guy did ejaculate. Now, are there other game shows that I should know about? <laughs> um, well, if you're asking me when I'm going to be appearing on that show, um, I've already filmed three episodes. And uh, basically, um, I, I kept insisting that there's no way I could fit my penis into a bear. And sure enough, it worked. Um <laughs> No, basically, as far as I can tell, every show on TV, on network television here is like some type of like game show or some type of like whatever. But there's always like four or five people who are just in a studio watching footage and commenting on it. I haven't seen any scripted television here. Maybe that's another window for Go for Gaijin to break into Japanese film. Yeah, we could. It could be like um, like uh, Boomer and Carton or like uh, you know Jim Rome or something. The way they film a radio show, they just film me in my apartment without pants on. Oh, you're also not wearing pants. Oh, that's, that's encouraging. Awesome. Well, I think I think that's probably a good place to uh, to end this thing. Is there anything you wanted to add, Mr. Zale? Um, arigato gozaimasu and sana yara. <laughs> you did that better than me. <laughs> How dare you try and usurp my my role as as host and and general awesome person on this crap podcast? We've gone way long again. Sayonara.